Hi again, everyone, and welcome to another Monday evening, and that means it's time for the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Glad to have you along this evening as we talk about the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. I'm Dave Mitchell. Nice to have you along this evening as we talk about the Ohio Baseball Clubs and alongside, of course, our resident Reds expert and Wright State graduate, Mark Donahue. Mark, good evening. Hi, Dave. Hope you had a good week. It was a good week, and boy, it was a real good week uh, for the Reds going 6-1. and one. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, <clears throat> I was talking to you before we went on the air, but if you were to go back three weeks ago, opening day, three weeks ago today, and you would look out into the future and see the schedule the Reds have played so far. They've played arguably the toughest schedule in baseball so far. And if you were to know that your starting catcher, Ryan Hannigan, would be on the DL, Sean Marshall, your number one setup guy, would be on the DL, your, your opening day left fielder, Ryan Ludwig, would be on the DL, and your number one starter, Johnny Cueto, would be on the DL, and on top of which, Bruce, Ludwig, and Botto between them would have only three home runs. Your starting left fielder is hitting 148, and yet the Reds are in first place. And it's only because of their starting pitching. And, and yesterday broke a streak. They, they almost had it. They, they were going for their seventh consecutive game where they only gave up two runs, their pitching staff. But uh, Manny Parra gave up a four spot in the ninth inning. The Reds still won the game. But uh, their, their starting pitching has been outstanding, and they're getting a good effort tonight from Mike Leake. So uh, pitching takes you a long way, and while the Reds – in some games, they, they had double figures and runs yesterday. They're just as likely to get shut out or score one or two runs because of the inconsistency of the offense, witnessed by the fact they're trailing the Cubs tonight in the sixth inning, two to nothing. So, you know, pitching can, can really make your season, and the Reds are proving that right now. Well, I wanted to tell you last week, and I neglected to do it, but um, I have come to the conclusion I know how to fix the Reds' left field problems. Well, you could pick anybody randomly who can swing a bat and put them up there and solve their problem. I, I know, who, I know who it should be. Drew Stubbs. Mike Leake. <laughs> Mike <laughs> Leake should play left field whenever he doesn't pitch. Well, you know, he was a shortstop in college. Yeah, he, he's hitting the ball great. He's hitting 400, and uh, in college, he was arguably the, one of the best hitting shortstops in baseball, uh, in college baseball. And uh, he gave serious thought to be becoming an infielder because he, he has such a, a good bat. Uh, but and, and, of course, he had a great arm uh, at shortstop. But you're right. He, he could play left field. And, uh, you know, I, I think the Reds have to do something. And you cannot have Chris Heisey go out there. You know, Dave, I've played a lot of baseball. I've coached a lot of baseball. I've, I've been coached by a lot of great players. And there are so many problems with Chris Heisey's swing that you can't fix them all. He lunges at the ball. He pulls his left shoulder out. He loops his swing. These are not things after, what, four or five years in the big leagues. <laughs> he's hitting 158, and he's gotten worse every year. The pitchers have, have figured him out, and, and he's, he's not the guy in left field. The Reds have to go out and get a left fielder. Well, we're going to get back into the Reds and uh, why they're in first place here in just a little bit, but we want to let you know that we do have – uh, you can give us uh, uh, an email tonight at askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or you can contact me at dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. You can also send us a tweet tonight if you've got any questions for us, and that's at ohbbcohost, at ohbbcohost. Uh, we tried to uh, get a couple of guests for tonight's show, but 
Neil Diamond had a previous engagement, Mark, and the Cleveland media has totally boycotted me. So we don't have a guest tonight. We will have Joel Luckhaup uh, of Reds Reporter next week on the show, though. Well, I can't imagine why those Cleveland reporters would, would turn you down. Well, you know, the Indians took two out of three from Houston this week, and the big story this morning was who the Browns were going to draft in the first round of the draft this week. So that that's kind of where the Cleveland media is this week, along with the fact that uh, Jimmy Haslam of the Browns is in deep doo-doo with uh, Pilot Flying J, but we won't get into that since this is a baseball show. But, hey, the uh, Reds went 6-1, and one, the Indians went 2-4, and four, but they did win two out of three in Houston. They almost blew yesterday's game. Chris Perez came in, and after having, having not pitched for a full week, he came in and gave up a double in a 5-4 to four ball game, Mark, and then loaded the bases and eventually got out of it with a strikeout and a ground out. So the Indians ended up taking two out of three. They're playing in Chicago tonight against the White Sox, and currently it's a 1-1 to one ball game. And as you said, uh, the Reds are down to the Cubs so far. But you, you brought up Ryan Hannigan being on the DL. He's got a strained left oblique. That means Devin Mesoraco has got a shot here. Yeah, he does have a shot, and I, and I think he's, he's two for two tonight, as a matter of fact. And the kid's got a lot of talent, and I, I think the Reds – you know, Ryan Hannigan is a very good catcher. Uh, he's never going to hit a lot for you. Uh, he, he's uh, He's got a good arm behind, and he's, he's solid behind the plate. But the Reds have a chance with Devin Masaraco to have a catcher who can't, you can't compare him to Johnny Bench, but the Reds haven't had a, a hard-hitting catcher in a long time. And Masaraco, uh, if he, he, he's got a good swing. He's got a good compact swing. He's got power. Uh, this this kid, you know, could be the real deal, and I'm gl- I'm, I'm certainly not glad Ryan Hannigan is hurt because he's hitting what 150 or something. But uh, the Reds need him behind the plate, but Mesoraco could be uh, an outstanding catcher, and I'm glad he's getting his chance to. do it this year well also with the Indians Michael Bourne uh, it was announced today will have the stitches taken out of his index finger on Thursday that means he's probably about a week away from getting back into the lineup for the Indians Uh, Saturday is the day that he's actually eligible to come off the DL Uh, probably Saturday or Sunday you're going to see him playing in Kansas City and that'll be a welcome return although Hey, you and I talked before we went on the air, Mark. Drew Stubbs is sitting 259, 260 right now. And yesterday he had a home run. He's been playing some pretty good baseball and putting the ball in play. Now, he does have 20 strikeouts. I'm going to go over the Drew Stubb watch for tonight. He's hitting 259 going into this evening's ball game. In 54 at-bats, Mark, he's got 14 hits, three doubles, seven walks, 20 strikeouts, and two stolen bases. And he's played some pretty good uh, center field for the Indians in the absence of Michael Bourne. So Drew Stubbs is playing a little bit better than he did with the Reds last year, but still he's not exactly what I was hoping for. Drew Stubbs could help the Indians <clears throat> if he were to hit 250. Uh, with his speed and defense, uh, he'll still strike out 175 to 200 times, but he can still help the team. Uh, if he gets on base, and he can steal you 30, 40 bases a year, plays good defense, he's got a good arm, and, you know, he's got the power. Uh, and the problem is, while I hope he hits 250 for the Indians, my guess is he won't. My guess is he'll hit 225 to 230, and then he becomes more of a liability than an asset. Uh, because he has, you mentioned the walks versus strikeouts. He doesn't walk a lot. And his on-base percentage is, is remarkably low. And, and he was leading off for the Reds. It was it was terrible. So if you can, you know, hit him lower in the lineup, uh, you can hide him. And, uh, again, 250, you got a good deal. At 220, 230, you don't. 
Yeah, his on-base percentage right now going into tonight's game is 344. They tried him out leading off a couple of games. Actually, I think it was uh, Wednesday that they had him batting leadoff against the Red Sox. He went 0 for 4 in that ball game, and then they moved him back to number 9, and he started hitting the ball again. So I don't know if it's that spot in the batting order or what, Mark, but uh, he seems to do better, as you said, when he's dropped down in the batting order. Now, a couple of big things for the Indians. Uh, Scott Kazmir started Saturday night, but he left in the fourth inning when the Indians had a 13-2 lead over Houston. He had already thrown 90 pitches. Of course, this was really the first outing that Kazmir's had since the end of spring training in the end of March. Uh, they also activated right-hander Matt Albers from the restricted list today after tending to a family issue last week. And when they did that, they put Brett Myers on the 15-day disabled list with tendonitis in his right elbow and what they called a mild sprain of the ulnar collateral ligament in the joint. And, of course, you know what that means. That's the UCL, which means if that thing tears, Mark, it's Tommy John surgery and the $7 million investment the Indians made in this right-hander goes right down the tubes for this season. Do you think his, what's his ERA is around, what, 8.3, something like that? Is <clears throat> Was that strictly because of the shoulder injury, or do you think uh, there was something else going on there, like lack of stuff? Uh, he had lack of stuff. Another thing that he was having problems with was just getting himself uh, stretched out to be a starter. He's been so used to being a reliever over the last two years and throwing just two innings at a time, he had to get his arm strengthened up enough to go ahead and, and pitch the six or seven innings. Now, of his, he's had uh, right now three starts. Two of them, one have been, one was outstanding, one was terrible, and the one that he had on Friday night against Houston, he really battled with that elbow injury and ended up coming out in the fifth inning, but the Indians were still in the ball game. So, I can't say that he's uh, washed up, although you got to look at it. In 21 and a third innings pitched, he's given up 29 hits and 19 earned runs. So, yeah, he, he hasn't been stellar, but he hasn't been Ubaldo Jimenez either yet. Do you think that he is one of those guys that simply has to stay in the bullpen because of his arm? He may have to, especially if this uh, turns out to be something more severe than what everybody thought. Now, They've got him on the 15-day disabled list, Mark, and they said that what they'll do is they'll go ahead and bring him after that 15 days. They're just going to have him totally rested. And after the 15 days, they'll have him throw on the side and see what happens there and kind of go from there. So we'll have to see in a couple of weeks where he's going to be. He did undergo an MRI today, which came back negative, but still he's on the 15-day DL. Now, Corey Kluber who has pitched pretty well out of the bullpen and, and was brought up to make a start against the Yankees, but it got rained out a couple of weeks ago. He's moving back into the rotation, and he'll make the start on Wednesday afternoon against the White Sox. Tomorrow night uh, it will be Zach McAllister going for the Indians against the White Sox and then Kluber going Wednesday afternoon. But So the Indians uh, kind of putting their rotation together piecemeal but still, uh, you know, their rotation doesn't stack up to what the Reds have. And the Reds brought up Tony Singrani on Saturday. Let's move over to him, Mark. I thought he pitched outstanding in Saturday's game. Well, he didn't pitch Saturday. He pitched Thursday. But I was there at that game on Thursday night. And uh, his fastball was coming in 93, 94, 95 consistently. And I'll tell you, he reminds me of Clayton Kershaw. Uh, not just because he's left-handed, but he's got he's got a riveting fastball, and his his breaking ball is you know C plus B minus, but when he gets a hold of a changeup, I tell you he is going to be he's going to be a tough dude to hit, and it, it's interesting with the Reds, he made the first start by a left-hander since Dontrell Willis back in September of 2010, and. You add Singrani to that to that lineup of pitching, and I tell you, the Reds have some real depth for the first time that I can remember in their starting rotation. Because I think Singrani, what I think is going to happen with the Reds this year, 
uh, is they're probably not going to re-sign Bronson Arroyo next year. And, and they're putting him in the position now to be the starting pitcher. Should we let you go ahead and get that? <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm that, so that, That's all right. Not, no, not a problem. Since, we know business has to continue. <laughs> Sengrani can be a, <clears throat> a, a top-of-the-rotation pitcher for this team. And next year, <clears throat> you know, you're going to have the, the Chapman issue again next year. But Chapman, Sengrani, Cueto, Lados, Bailey, Mike Leake. I mean, that, that is... That is some powerful arms in a rotation if they would decide to put uh, Chapman in the rotation next year. Why Why would they do that, Mark? Why not just put Chapman at closer and let it go? Well, because the guy, he could win 23 games. That's why. Uh, he, he, he has that kind of stuff. But it all depends on who you have in the bullpen and who you have in your starting rotation. I mean, if you don't need him, I mean, it's hard to believe that you wouldn't need a, a, an Aroldis Chapman in your top five, but arguably the Reds could row out there next year and not need him. It's it's amazing. I mean, you could have if Leak has a good year this year and he's pitching well tonight, you could have Leak and Bailey and Stingrani, Cueto and Lados. <laughs> that's that's an outstanding five man rotation, and then you've got a lockdown closer at the back end, even though he gave up a home run that lost the game on Friday night, uh, you know, he's, he's not going to do that very often. So pitching-wise, I think the Reds are in good shape. My biggest complaint with the Reds is their lack of offense. Consistent offense. Well... And I want to go back. back to this Chapman thing. I, I kind of put this into the same argument, Mark, as the Rangers with Neftali Feliz and how he was a lockdown closer for a couple of years, and then they went out and got Joe Nathan because they got the brilliant idea that they were going to start him, Feliz, and he turns around and he blows out his elbow, has to have Tommy John surgery, and now they don't know if he'll ever come back to where, the way he was. I, I think if you got you got something like Chapman, and he's being successful at where he's at, and you don't need to move him into the rotation, why, why mess with something? You know, I don't think it's a matter of messing with as, as much, but you mentioned the key element to me is the possibility of injury. And I'd love to know from a sports doctor, is there more stress on Chapman when he throws 103, 104 miles an hour out of the bullpen, which he does. He threw 102 the other night several times. Or is there more stress on pitching at 93, 94, but doing it over a longer period of time? I don't know the answer to that. But it seems to me that you run a much greater risk of hurting yourself when you're out there when it's 42 degrees and you're trying to throw the ball 100 miles an hour. I don't know. It just seems to me that that when I pitched, um, it, to me, I, I, I'd much rather start because it's it. You have more control of the pace of the game. When you come out of the bullpen, you got to come out and you're throwing gas and as hard as you can throw for as long as you can throw. Again, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'd like to know if anybody does. Well, and another thing, Mark, is you look at Nolan Ryan, and he did that for almost 25 years and never had an arm problem up until his last year when he ended up retiring because of the arm injury. And well, if, that, if wasn't, remember, that wasn't the reason he retired, but, yeah, he, he, he had to leave the game early because of an arm injury. Well, Nolan Ryan, he was pitching, what, 40, 47, 48 years old. And right. I remember the last game he pitched. He threw a breaking ball and, and tore his uh, rotator cuff. And that was it. He was done. And, you know, he he was uh, probably the strongest pitcher anybody ever ever faced physically. But, again, I, it's, it's curious. You don't hear of a lot of relievers having as many blowout injuries as you as you seem to have with starters. 
So maybe the answer is that it's harder on your arm, but again, I don't know that, and it's, it's certainly anecdotal in terms of you know who get hurt who gets hurt the most. But uh, when you have a, a talent like Chapman, it's a great problem to have because no matter where you put him, whatever group he's with, the bullpen or the starters are going to be better, and that's that's a great problem to have. Well, and you know what else, Mark, is that you can have an example of a pitcher who was a starter and went to the bullpen or a bullpen pitcher that went to the starting rotation. You can find examples at nauseum uh, of, of pitchers that went both ways. So I, I think it's just the, the caliber of the pitcher and the arm. Yeah, I agree with you, and it depends on how they start. But you're talking about Brett Myers. Uh, you know, he when he came out of the bullpen – from, for the Phillies a few years ago, man, he was tough. He was really tough. Heavy slider. Uh, he, he had a great sinker, live fastball. And, you know, the, I, I don't know if that hurt him or helped him. But my question to you was, if he's not cutting in as a starter, uh, the guy has a lot of experience in the bullpen, and he was very effective. Well, he's going to have to move to the bullpen because there, I find it very difficult that to believe that they would actually find a taker for him at seven million dollars a year, and he's just going to pitch out of the bullpen. He's not a closer; he's more of a setup guy. And at seven million dollars, that's sort of a premium that only maybe the Yankees and Red Sox could could afford to handle. Yeah, and you know who's playing surprisingly well? Speaking of the Red Sox, is Boston. Uh, they, they're surprising me. I had them finish near the bottom of that Eastern Division, and it, it may end up that way. But uh, you know, it's, to me, the biggest surprise. We haven't talked about this, but you look around the the league, and Atlanta, uh, and and even Milwaukee. They've won seven in a row. Uh, there's some teams that are playing pretty well that no one expected to play well. Yeah, Atlanta being one of them. It- Oakland, I, I I forget who was it that picked Oakland to win that division. Gosh, I don't remember. Oh wait, it was me. Oh, was it you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, o- Oakland's playing some pretty. Hey, I'll tell you who's really a surprise right now. The Angels. Look at where they're at right now, Mark. It is unbelievable. They did win three in a row from Detroit, but boy, I tell you what, Mike Sosha was on the carpet ready to be called, and Tony LaRusso was in the bullpen waiting to come out. Well, did you see LaRusso's comment about that, though? He said he has I no intention. What, what is it that they say um, in, out of Shakespeare? Me don't think he protests too much. Perhaps. I mean, he's probably a buddy of, uh, of Socia's. I would think he would be. Um, he's certainly not going to pull the rug out from under him. But the... You know, I don't think the the A or the the Angels uh, are going to linger where they are the rest of the year. There's just too much talent on that team, and I, I've not seen the statistics recently. But Josh Hamilton got off to an awful start. I don't know if he's right of the ship yet or not. But uh, you know that that team has an awful lot of talent, and uh, they're only four and a half games back. So uh, I think it's too early to panic. But if I, if I was an Angel fan, I would remember last year when they were supposed to win everything, and now Pujols is hurt. So, uh, you know, there, there's certainly cause for concern, but I think it's too early to, uh, you know, to throw in the towel. Mark, we've got our Ask Us segment coming up here in about five minutes, so everybody stick around for that. But I wanted to bring up, and you and I talked just a little bit before we went on the air, I could not believe when I looked at this stat that Shinsu Chu for the Reds has been hit nine times coming into tonight's game, and you said he was hit one more time tonight, so that takes it up to ten. Yeah, and so far, and they had an article about it in the paper this morning here in Dayton, he's not been hit hard. He's not been hit where it's it's, it's debilitating. But I'm telling you, I've been hit a number of times, and it hurts. And what, what's really bothersome is when you are hit in the same spot more than once. Like you'll get hit on the thigh, and then invariably, you know, two games later, you get hit the same spot. And it's interesting, people don't understand, but when you are a hitter that is, is, is say, a left-hand hitter facing 
a right-handed pitcher or a right-handed hitter facing a left-handed pitcher is counterintuitive, but you have a much greater chance of being hit that way. You would think if you're a right-hand hitter and you're facing a right-hand pitcher and left and left, you'd get hit more often. That's not the case. And they say switch hitters are hit more often because of that. And it's because the ball is always boring into you. It, you know, if, you, if they're throwing a slider or a curveball, it's going to come in towards your body. And if they throw a fastball in the inner half and it moves inside, you're going to get nailed. So Chu right now, fortunately, is taking it on the back. He got hit in the butt a few times, grazed on the arm. But he also, if you well, obviously you remember a couple of years ago, he got hit in the hand and was out two months for the Indians. I forget who hit him, but uh, he was talking about that today, that, you know, he doesn't like getting hit. And if he could only get hit in the butt the rest of the year, it'd be okay. But he's always afraid of getting his hands hit. Well, yeah, and his hands tend to kind of linger over the plate anyway. Uh, he, he gets up real close to the plate. He's got a 523 on-base percentage mark. And Joey Votto is uh, right behind him at 522. And Dusty Baker had... A, the chance to talk about that earlier today about their two on base percentage and just what he thinks. Let's listen to that. On base percentage is good, but you know, RBI is better. You know what I mean? And so if we can get all of it, then that's even better yet. So, and uh, then you got to look at you know where Brandon's at at the top of the league in, in RBIs, which which is a big plus for us. So we got. I mean, like I said, we still got some improvement to do, but you got to have. Um, it's always nice to have three or four guys in line up pretty high. Fraser got a big hit today. After we left those runners out there, first and second, nobody, nobody, bases loaded, nobody out. And then he came through the big two out hit. And as I say every day, the team gets the most two out hits. RBI hits win. You know, Mark, I look at Brandon Phillips, and you talk a lot about his defense. We talked about him batting cleanup last week. If I'm going to vote right now, in the first month of this year, I would say Brandon Phillips is probably the most valuable player right now. Oh, I would think so when you when you combine offense and defense. And the fact that when the season started, he was sitting number two. <laughs> and, and then on the second game of the season, he's sitting number four. So he's driven, I think, in t- over 20 runs or 21 runs. And I'm not sure Ryan Ludwig would have been able to do that. But, uh, again, you get back to what's happened to the Reds with injuries so far this year. It really is remarkable that they're in first place. And if they can tread water until some of these injured players come back, they're, they're going to be in pretty good shape. But the the surprising thing to me, we were looking at the standings earlier, is how well the teams in the National League Central are playing. You've got four teams over 500 in the division, and they're all bunched together. Uh, Milwaukee is in fourth place, but they're only a game out. So uh, the the National League Central people were bad mouthing that division for a number of years, but you got Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, St. Louis, and Milwaukee uh, playing really good ball, and they played tough schedules. So the the, the rest of the league, uh, you know, is certainly no stronger than than the Central this year, and the Central got a whole lot stronger when they got rid of Houston. Uh, the good teams in the Central used to beat the tar out of, of Houston every year, and, and you know win an extra 10, 12 games a year against Houston alone. So uh, a much tougher division in the National League Central this year than I've seen it for probably 10, 12 years. Well, yeah, just taking a look at the standings in that Central division, the Reds are on top of it with the 11-8 and record, a half a game in front of Pittsburgh and St. Louis. They're both 10-8. and And what's surprising about, I think anyway, those two clubs, Mark, is that Pittsburgh was expected to hit and have a lack of pitching. It's been just the opposite. St. Louis, they've always been a good hitting team, and this year they were not expected to have the pitching. Well, that's been pretty much the way it's been. They've got the hitting, and their pitching has been lackadaisical so far, except for Wainwright. Milwaukee, as you said, a full game back at 9-8, and eight, and then the Cubs at 5-12. and 12. So that division is a lot better this year. And Milwaukee's won seven in a row, actually the hottest team in the league, in either league for that matter. So it's going to be an exciting year. I I don't think any team is going to win 97 games a year again this year in the Central. I think, you you know, 91, 92 games will probably win the division, and it could be less. You could have a team 88, 89 wins win win this division. You know, let's take a look at Shinsu Chu and Joey Votto 
right now, Mark, for the for the Reds. I, I said that Chu has that 5.23 on base percentage and Votto at 5.22. Well, Chu has been hit 10 times now. He's got a 3.82 batting average, 26 hits, 11 walks, and he struck out 16 times. Votto, by the way, 21 hits. He's been he's walked 28 times, Mark. And 17 strikeouts. Phillips has got the 21 RBIs. Frazier's 17. And all that sounds great. The problem is that the Reds have got only four guys hitting out of nine. Yeah, and you can't you can't win that way. I don't care how good your pitching is. And people were saying that the Reds have either they're leading the league in runs or they're or close to it. And I know they were third the other night. Um, and with their, their runs, we see they've scored... Uh, the Reds have scored 106 runs, and they do lead the league in runs scored. And the problem is they'll score 10 runs two games in a row and then get shut out. Uh, they have no consistency in that lineup, and uh, hopefully Joey Votto has turned the corner. He had a big weekend against the Marlins, uh, but, you know, he can't do it all. And you can't have your shortstop hitting 190 or 200, and your left fielder hitting 150, and your starting catcher hitting 125, and then you have a pitcher, you, you, you know, you can't, it, it doesn't work. And Jay Bruce got his first home run tonight. He's got one home run, and we're three weeks into the season. So you've got to have more offensive consistency with that team. And I tell you, it'd be a crime with the pitching they have for the lack of a single bat. They could go out there and get anybody to go into left field and hit 250, 260, 270, and it would be a huge improvement over Chris Isaac. Anybody. And I know they have enough depth of pitching that they could put together a good package for, for a decent hitter that somebody would want. I mean, pitching's hard to get. The Reds got a lot of it. But that's going to be the well, downfall of this team. Maybe we'll talk more about that next week with Joel Luckhaup and see if the, they have anything on the uh, back burner as far as picking up a left fielder. In the American League, though, let's take a look at the Central Division standings where Kansas City is leading the division with a 10-7 and record. They've won two straight. Minnesota's won four in a row. They're in second place, just a game back at 8-7. and Then comes Detroit at 9-9. Nine and nine. Then the Indians at 7-10. and ten. They've won two straight. And the White Sox have lost three straight. And they're in last place at 7-11, and 11. of course, the Indians and the White Sox are playing tonight, and right now the White Sox are winning that ball game 2-1. to one. We've got our Ask Us segment, Mark, coming up, and we will get into the questions that our fans have asked us this week. We'll do that right after this timeout. In baseball news, Cincinnati rookie, 18-year-old Dylan Michael, has been named Rookie of the Year. Michael came up midseason and hit 367 with 21 home runs and 49 RBI. By winning the award, Michael became the youngest player to do so and now faces the challenge of repeating his success and avoiding that famed sophomore slump next season. Last at Bat, a novel by Mark Donahue. Available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. And you can also pick it up just simply by... Trying to order it and ordering it here on the Ultimate Sports Talk website. So make sure that you sign in and do that. Mark, anything new on the uh, movie that you yeah, can tell us fact, about yet? Uh, we are meeting with the um, with the Dayton Dragons on Friday and going through the stadium and uh, getting our uh, shooting schedule down. And, uh, you know, we should be ready to be shooting, I, I think, in June or July. The problem is, is getting your, you need 10 to 12 days in the stadium. And it's hard to do that during the season, obviously, because people are playing there. So we're looking closely at the schedule of when we could come in and actually begin shooting. We're, we're in post-production now. So it's, uh, it's a process that uh, takes a lot of time, believe me. I, I, I was warned that... Uh, I finished the novel about two years ago that, you know, it, it can take 10 years to get a movie made. So we've made really quick progress, but for somebody like me that has no no patience about anything, it's, it's a very slow, painful process. But uh, according to those who have gone through this before, uh, you know, it, it's moving and it's, and it's at a pretty quick pace. Well, we'll be sure. I, I know we're planning on going down and maybe doing a show or two from a the uh, 
movie site. So hopefully we can get that uh, put together and, and get down there and do that. But now it's time for our Ask Us segment, our fans writing in our their questions for us, Mark. And the first one comes from Kevin. And I think this is a pretty uh, timely question for us tonight, Mark. And he says, Kevin says, he was impressed with Singrani when he came up to pitch. He had something like eight strikeouts and gave up only one earned run in the five innings. He asks us, uh, do you think that the Reds will keep him up for a while, or will he be sent back down when Cueto comes back? That's a good question. I think Manny Parra is probably the short man on the totem pole. Uh, the only reason they would send Singrani back down is if the, if everybody is pitching well in the starting rotation, that uh, they don't want to put Singrani back in the bullpen. He, he's been stretched out in case somebody else gets hurt. But I tell you, it's awfully tough to, to keep a left-hander who was throwing like he was the other night out of your starting rotation. I mean, this guy could he could go in and be the number two or three starter on a lot of ball teams right now. And maybe even a, a number two or, or number one. He, he is a he, he's a stud left-hander, and he, he he doesn't remember when Travis Wood came up with the Reds and such a big difference. Travis Wood's a good a good pitcher. I hated when the Reds gave him up to get Sean Marshall, but when you see Singrani pitch, I mean this this guy he can throw, and he's a young man. I think he's only 22, 23 years old, and he's again he could be a number one starter for this team. Well, I think the Cubs would be happy with Singrani right now. And, and, you know, I talked with Tim McGinnis on the Thursday night show, too, Mark, and, and they're not happy with Travis Wood in Chicago. I was kind of surprised. Yeah, me too. And and I I always thought that, you know, he was going to be a real good pitcher for the Reds. And he's the kind of guy that if you put him in a Western Division ballpark, because he, he's a fly ball pitcher, uh, he, he would be really effective, but he's pitched in Cincinnati and he's pitched at Wrigley Field, and he'll he'll pitch very well for five six innings, and then he'll get lit up. And uh, he's the kind of guy you know you you go around the lineup more than once, and you kind of figure him out. But uh, I think he's going to be around for a long time. He's going to be a good serviceable pitcher, and I, I wish. And I'm not sure he would have helped the Reds because of how strong the rotation is. But uh, I've always liked Travis Wood. Yeah, and I've seen him pitch a couple of times this year for the Cubs on WGN, and I've been impressed with the way that he's spotting his pitches this year. He just seems to be more improved this year than he has over the past. Another question that came in, this one's timely also, and it's, it, and this was one of the things that I did want to bring up tonight. As Drupal Cabrera got injured again in the first inning of Saturday night's game, uh, according to Jay Hav, Cabrera milked it last year with injuries. Is this a trend? You know, I've got to be honest with you, Jay Hav. I'm starting to wonder the same thing. Um, Cabrera left that game with what was called a contusion to his left wrist in the first inning, and the Indians were scoring eight runs in that first inning, and, and he left the game. I'm almost of the opinion the way this pitching is pushing itself out so far this season, Mark, that the Indians may be better off just going ahead and trading Cabrera, getting themselves a serviceable three or four pitcher for him, which I think you could probably get, putting Avilas at shortstop for the rest of the year and maybe all of next year because I think he's a pretty good shortstop. Not a pretty good, a real good shortstop. And until you get Lindor to come up, who's the prime candidate to be the shortstop here in a couple of years. I'm beginning to wonder the same thing, Jay Hab, whether or not as Drupal Cabrera just milks things. You know, Jay Hab, you bring up a good point. And I remember I went to Dream Week at the Reds, uh, I think three times. And I remember sitting in the dugout talking to some of the old players. I remember having a long discussion with uh, Roy McMillan, old shortstop for the Reds years ago, Ted Klazuski, both of whom have passed away since I met with them. But they often talked about how back in the day players did not come out of the lineup anything short of a compound fracture. I mean, they had to be ready to be taken on a gurney, uh, you know, to the hospital before they would come out of the lineup. And today, you know, a pitcher gets a blister or a hitter gets a, a, a minor pull or just not feeling well or whatever, and they're, they're off for three days. And I don't know if it's the fact that they are financially secure 
that, you know, if you're a Major League Baseball player, what's the average salary? $3.2 million or something like that? Even the guy's minimum salary is close to $500,000 a year. It's not the same incentive they used to have. And I don't know if it's the agents who says to them, don't risk it if you have a, a minor pull or you don't feel well. Don't mess with your stats. It could hurt your contact, contract time. I don't know what the answer is. But you can't convince me that with medical science way, the way it is today, that this running to the DL for something that's relatively minor has anything to do with anything other than money. It, 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 what's the explanation? It, it's Some of these injuries are laughable that these guys sit out for three or four games. I'm not saying that there aren't some, some serious, genuine injuries, but my God, you compare it to what it was even 20 or 30 years ago, it's, it's light years different. Well, I think, just look at the NFL, Mark. I think there are two words that are floating around baseball now that don't float around the NFL. Contract year. The only time you see a lot of these ball players go out and play hard, and I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them, play hard is when their contract is up and they're playing for a new deal. And that's what you had back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. These players were always playing for another contract next year. They didn't know if they were going to be on the team next year. They had to play for that contract to be on the team next year. Now players don't have to do that. They know where they're going to be two, three, four years, and if you're an Albert Pujols or a Josh Hamilton, you know where you're going to be for the next seven or eight years. You don't have to worry about it. How about Joey Votto? you know what you're going to get. How about Joey Votto for the next 11 years? He knows where he's going to be. And, you know, Joey Votto is a good example of a guy who I think works as hard as anybody in baseball to maintain his physical, his peak and, and all that stuff. But when you have that much money, $25 million a year for the next 11 years. The incentive that was there is gone. That financial incentive to put food on the table, all the, all the things, you know, secure your family's future, that's gone. I mean, you, you've got to, you, you may have other ways to motivate yourself, but, you know, it's not what it used to be. And I'm not saying it's any better or worse, it's just different. And I've played enough baseball to know these guys are playing 200 games a year. You cannot emotionally stay up for every game. There are some games you're going to be sick, you're going to be tired, you're going to be recovering from too much alcohol the night before, you're going to be, you know, whatever. And it's, it's very, very tough to keep that edge. And I admire baseball players for that. But, the, the, you know, the contract has changed everything. And these guaranteed contracts in baseball, uh, boy, it, it's... I was hearing about Soriano's contract. You know, the Cubs signed him, what, five, six years ago to a 12-year deal. And it's one of the worst contracts ever. Now, would he have had the same kind of performance if he had a, a three-year contract as opposed to a 12-year contract? I don't know. But it's it's certainly something to think about. Well, I want to go to the New York Yankees and just ask one simple question. You've got A-Rod who didn't have hip surgery until January when he knew he was supposed to have it or that he was going to have it in the playoffs in October, and he waited two full months before he had hip surgery. You've got Derek Jeter who has fought like crazy to get back into the lineup and now finds out he's got an additional crack in the ankle that they didn't see until last week, and now he's out till the All-Star break. You've got Mark Teixeira who's out with a sprained wrist, and, and you've got those people, and, and Granderson is, is hurt also. But could you imagine George Steinbrenner still owning the Yankees and paying these guys the amount of money that they're getting now and having them sit out? Yeah, A-Rod's the one I, I just never understood the money he got from Texas to, to start this purge, not purge, binge of spending by owners. Uh, Derek Jeter's a different story. Derek Jeter, I think, has has earned it. You know, he's he's earned an right. injury like this. Um, but a lot of these players have not. And the, imagine what the Yankees 
are going to be like next year. I mean, they, they could lose everybody you mentioned. They could lose, and they're going to you lose uh, their, their reliever. Um, Mariano Rivera. Yeah, Rivera. He's going to be gone. This is his last year. I mean, that team is going to be a completely different ball club, and yet the Suns are not George. They're not, they're not out there spending the kind of money that he would spend, and they're probably running a much more successful business operation because of it. But probably. the Yankees... Uh, you know, the, the Yankees aren't, you know, the Yankees of old. They're, they're not a team that uh, is going to scare anybody. And I don't think the ownership scares the players anymore. I think George Steinbrenner was an imposing uh, imposing guy, and to play for George Steinbrenner, he would scare you into playing. You never knew well, what that guy was going to say. Well, yeah, and they didn't have the, the luxury back then of those long-term contracts. I think Dave Winfield... Did he have a ten-year deal with? with uh, yes. uh, he he was an exception to the rule, but you know the Yankees uh, they spent more money than anybody, but they won. And, and you can't if, if the object is to win, how you do it isn't important. What is bad is when a team spends like the Cubs spend and lose. And other teams can be blamed. Atlanta spent a lot of money and never, I think they won one World Series after winning all those pennants. And uh, so you have to give it to the Yankees. They, they put the money out there, but they, they came up with good players and they won. Well, another one, too. Just go north of the border to Toronto. Jose Reyes is out until after the All-Star break with a sprained ankle. A sprained ankle. Tape the thing up and go play. All right, let's get back to our Ask Us segment. Engine Fan asks us, Dave, quick question. Who are the middle relievers on the Indians? He knows the starters and the closer, but he's lost on who else is in the bullpen. Well, a quick answer to this. Uh, Vinny Pistano is the setup man in the eighth inning. Joe Smith is the setup man for the seventh inning. They've got uh, Brian Shaw, um, Matt Albers, Nick Hagedon is in the bullpen also. Those are your bullpen pitchers right now, along with Corey Allen, who came up uh, just about a week or so ago. So that's the bullpen on the Indians right now. Um, SRAM42 asks us this question. Says that uh, this question was asked last year, but he's curious if the answer has changed. Who would you rather have on your team, Zach Cozart or Jason Kipnis? Well, I'd rather have Kipnis, only because Cozart uh, is off to such a, a poor start this year, and I think he's a he's average or maybe a tick above average at, at defensive shortstop. But when I saw Kipnis last year, uh, he he really impressed me. I don't know what he's doing this year, but I, I thought he was an outstanding player. Well, he was hurt for a week. He didn't play in the Boston, and he did he missed the uh, first game of the Houston series and then, and, and then came out the last two games and he played pretty well yeah Kipnis I think is the second baseman of the future it's just a question of what we're going to do at shortstop I would probably take Jason Kipnis too over Zach Cozart although they play two different positions Mark I know Cozart could probably play second but I know Kipnis there's no way he could play short um, Ricky asks us tonight the Indians have five stolen bases so far this year. Is this going to be pretty typical of the team, or is it still too early to tell? Still pretty early to tell, Ricky, because the Indians haven't hit the ball extremely well. They're just now starting to hit the ball, but they're not scoring the runs. And with Bourne out for at least another week, uh, that's the guy who's really the table setter. When you get Stubbs batting ninth and Bourne batting leadoff, those are the two guys that are really going to have to be the ones to steal bases for the Indians this year. And with Bourne out, that kind of takes the running game out of the equation for the Indians so far um, let's move over to Monk show fan number one and then we've just got a couple more questions Bourne, Swisher, Reynolds and Stubbs are in the top five of the Indians batting average all new to the team this year 
Do we agree that every move the team has made this winter has paid off? Um, I would say probably about 90% of the moves. Even Jason Giambi, Mark, is uh, playing some pretty good baseball. So I would say all of the uh, arguing and lambasting of the Indians' front office that I did last year, at least for right now, I think I've been pretty quiet on them just so that because of what's happening. Well, let me throw some cold water on that. <laughs> uh, I think it's way, way too early to judge any trade, including Shu for the, for, for the Reds. He's off to a tremendous start. But the, the players you mentioned, they're off to decent starts. But, uh, you know, it's nothing to write home about yet. And some of these trades, frankly, you, you don't know how good a trade is for a year or two or longer. So it's after three weeks into the season, a guy could be hitting 800 right now, and by the end of the year he's going to be hitting 235. So I think it's way too early to judge a trade, and I think too many fans look at these trades through a very short-term prism, and uh, they either get disappointed or over-elated because of short-term results. And that's not, that's not the way you can evaluate a trade fairly. And normally I would agree with you on that, Mark. The only thing is, is that the Indians players that were there last year that these players replaced were so bad, anything would have been an improvement, even a corpse. Well, that's, that's addition by subtraction, which is different. But if, <laughs> if, you're, you know, if you're going to measure fairly a trade, and typically it's not, you know, a, a, a secondary trade isn't going to make or break your, your, your season or your, you know, two or three years. But when you, when you look at a major trade, like the Reds, the Indians, and, and Arizona, that's a trade that will take a long time to, to determine who came out on top on that. And likely, it's not going to be the Reds. Because no matter how Chu does this year, he's not going to be back next year. He's a free agent, and I doubt the Reds are going to sign him. So he'll be gone, and he's the only thing the Reds got out of that trade. And I think Arizona and Cleveland did very well in that trade. And it might, you know, Drew Stubbs is the kind of guy, like I said, if he can hit around 240, 250, and he'll figure it out someday. And you, you just hope you're the team that he's on when he does figure it out. Hey, Ruth, here's another question. We've got two more of these. Uh, really appreciated the kind words you guys had for Boston in the last show. It's really sad this happened, but it's amazing how the sentiment of sports fans can be. Have Cleveland or Cincinnati been hit by the aftermath of the bombing in any way? Mark, I, I think that's a great question, and I appreciate what she had to say about what we had to say last week. I think everybody in this country was affected by the aftermath of the bombing. I don't think it was just Cincinnati or, or, or Cleveland if they were singled out. I think everybody was affiliated here in America was affected by that bombing in one way or another. Yeah, I was at the ball game, as I said, Thursday night down in Cincinnati. There was about 30,000 people there. And every time you're in a crowd, you can't help but wonder and look around. And I saw, uh, you know, you, you walk into a venue like that, so many people around there. And I saw a lot of people carrying backpacks. And in those backpacks, you know, they had water. You know, you can take stuff into the stadium now at Great American Ballpark. But it does make you think. And then I also started thinking, screw them. You know, I'm not going to let these idiots control what I do. And I think that's the way most Americans feel about it. That, yeah, it, it, there are some idiots out there that will do something like this. And, but we as Americans, you know, like I said, screw them. Uh, we're going to live our life, and uh, you can get hit by a truck tomorrow. And hopefully that uh, we don't let this change our way of life, particularly uh, sporting way of life. Uh, too many people enjoy this as, as a major recreation that they have, and uh, uh, hopefully that uh, the, the technology will prevent something like this happening in the future in a major event. Yeah, I agree. Final question. Larry come, uh, emails us and tells us that he caught the show for the first time last week. Well, don't make it the last time, Larry. He really loves what we're doing. He's a huge MMA fan, 
and we're all talking about how amazing it is that women are working their way into the sport. He wants to know if we think that women will find their way into baseball somehow. I think it's possible that you can do it, but there's only one position that can occur at, in my opinion, and that would be pitching. I think you could have, I know there was a 12-year-old girl here a couple of years ago who had a great knuckleball, and it wasn't just great for a 12-year-old girl. It was, it was a good knuckleball. Uh, they were afraid to have her pitch because in high school they used metal bats. And they were afraid. She was, she was very small. She weighed like 110 pounds, 115 pounds. And they were afraid she'd get hurt on the mound. But that is not going to stop some woman someday from developing a specialized pitch. And she'll be a big enough, strong enough, uh, you know, physique that she could stand the rigors of, of professional baseball. And I, I think you're someday you'll see a woman who throws – a great knuckleball, and she'll make the majors. Yeah, I think you're probably right. It would have to be a pitching or an umpire. Um, I think you could probably have a, a, a female umpire. Heavens knows, couldn't be any worse than what we've got now out there <laughs> doing well, some there, of the umpiring in Major League Baseball. There, there have been many, many minor league female umpires. I, I, I've seen them. Uh, I don't know if anybody ever tried for the big leagues or not, but, uh, yeah, I, I think there's well, – when you see what's happening with, with college basketball and now that, that a couple of these girls can easily dunk the ball and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're great athletes. But it's – from a physical perspective, they, they simply can't compete strength-wise yet with a man. Uh, just it's a, the, the, the physicality, you know, is, is not there. But, again, you have a woman who can throw a great knuckleball, and uh, you'll see it someday. I, I guarantee it. Well, that's going to do it for our Ask Us segment. Thanks, for everybody, for sending in your questions. And do it again next week. You can send them in to askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can tweet us at OHBBcohost. Thanks to everybody who sent in their questions this week. Mark, uh, before we end the show tonight, I've got to say something and I wanted to get into a debate with you about the Hall of Fame, but I think we're going to have to wait for that until next week uh, after our guest Joel Luckhout uh, next week. But I, I, you brought up something last week just off the cuff that I wasn't quite sure what you were talking about until the next day and it was the fact that Licking Heights High School beat Harvest Prep High School by the score of 65 to nothing. They scored 16 runs in the first, 18 runs in the second, and 31 runs in the third. And their coach, Jeff Boyer, of Licking Heights, wasn't happy. He said he felt bad for their kids and didn't know what to tell his own kids. And he went out and told the home plate umpire that he would have his players intentionally make outs, but the ump said it would make the game a travesty. And as Snyder said after the game, Licking Heights routinely blows out the less experienced Harvest Prep Club, scoring more than 40 runs on multiple occasions, and he doesn't know how to stop it. Mark, I got a great idea for the guy. Quit scheduling that team. Go play somebody like Moeller or Prince, whoever. Play somebody good. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Although I did feel for him because, you know, he wasn't trying to, to rub it in. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't being a jerk about, you know, scoring 65 runs. He felt bad about it. But you're right. Don't schedule that team. Or, you know what? It would be better forfeit. Forfeit the game to the, to the lesser team because you know you're going to kill them. And you don't want to do that. So just forfeit. You know, I think it would be a good idea if the OHSAA looked into – a maximum run per inning uh, rule or or even uh, shrink the game to three innings. I mean, right now the 10-run rule goes into effect in the fifth inning. Uh, you could maybe make a 20-run a rule in the third inning, something like that. I think that's something that the OHSAA should probably take a look at. Yeah, but how many times does this happen? I mean, it doesn't happen that often. Uh, that's for sure. No, and when it does, it makes national headlines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's just, hey, 
I, I just had to bring that up because I, I wasn't quite sure what you were talking about last week, and, and I'm sure a lot of other people were kind of curious about it. And then I saw it the next day, so I'm glad you brought that up. But nonetheless, hey, what are the Reds got going this week, Mark? Well, they got the Cubs in uh, for three games, and then they go on the road. They go out to St. Louis and Pittsburgh and Chicago, uh, and and uh, they go to um, Washington. So if they can get by the next ten games and and be in first place with the injuries they have, because they have a tough schedule ending of, of the month, uh, they're going to be in pretty good shape. So we'll, I, I, the, the road trip to St. Louis and Washington will be a tough one. That's seven games there. So uh, they, they keep their head above water. They'll be in pretty good shape. Should be fun. The Indians, they've got uh, the White Sox tonight as they're playing. It's a 2-1 to one ball game right now at the end of the sixth. Then tomorrow night, and they play Wednesday afternoon against the White Sox in Chicago. And then they go to Kansas City. They've got Thursday off, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday they play at Kansas City. Well, we've got Joel Luckout coming on the show next week. Until then, Mark, have a good week, and we'll talk to you next Monday night. Have a good one, Dave. And don't forget to join us on Thursday night for the BBA Baseball Talk Show. Our guest then will be Daniel Moritz of CamdenCrazies.com as we talk about the Baltimore Orioles right here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. And as I said, next week, Joel Luckout of RedReporter.com will be on our show. For Mark Donahue... Our thanks to him, and also our thanks to you for listening. I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 9 o'clock, have a good week, everybody.